Church family, open up your Bibles to Psalm chapter 40. If you're not there already, it's on page 468 in the Bible that's just under the seat in front of you. I'll give you a moment to get there. Psalm 40. Uh, We're looking at that psalm in its entirety today, and we're, of course, preparing to start our new sermon series next Sunday. Who's excited? I'm excited. We're doing a character study on the life of David that will take us all the way through till the first Sunday in Advent, and we're going to move through uh, 2 Samuel primarily and some really, really good passages, so if you want to read ahead on that, you can. Our psalm this morning, Psalm 40, is a psalm of lament. Okay, it's David laying bare his lament before the Lord. We said last week, we noted that the psalms are 150 songs unto the Lord, some written by David, some by the psalmist. And in them, we see the full range of human emotion laid bare before the Lord. This is meaningful and instructive for Christian men and women. Far too often, we think that we need to live our Christian life in a sort of caricature way. You know, like Ned Flanders, who's always hap diddly ho their neighbor. But the Psalms remind us that God's people still have the full range of human feelings. We have times of great joy and exuberance. We have times of excitement. We also have times of sadness and profound loss and disappointment. We have seasons of lament where the world doesn't unfold before us in the ways that we think it should. And that's what we have here this morning. Psalm chapter 40, David is lamenting. He follows a particular pattern that I also think is instructive before we get into the verses themselves. You may have noticed this when Namasha read it to us. David begins with praise and lament, and then he moves to lament with petitions. Do you know what I mean? Okay, let me say it a different way. When David finds himself in a season that is heartbreaking and disappointing, He doesn't start by asking God to do certain things for him. He starts by praising God. You know, friend, maybe that's a word for you this morning. If you find yourself in desperate need from the Lord, if you begin by asking God to do the things that you think he ought to do, well, you might be praying in vain. You might be praying things that are not what the Father wills. They're not consistent with who God is and who he is for you in Jesus. But if, like David in Psalm 40, you begin by orienting yourself around praising the Lord God, recalibrating and reorienting your life around the truth of who God is for you in Jesus, praise him first, and then your heart's ready to make petition. Do you understand what I mean? It's a good pattern for us this morning. Now, last week we looked at Psalm 34, and Psalm 34 addressed a very specific moment in David's life. Do you remember that? What was the moment? It was the moment when David changed his behavior before Abimelech. And so, although it applied to many different circumstances in our lives, its focus was very particular. Today's psalm, Psalm 40, the psalm of lament, look at how it's introduced. It says, to the choir master, a psalm of David. That's the same introduction that you'll find before many of the Psalms. And so here's the point. 
Today, we're looking at a psalm that is a general psalm of lament, and so it can be applied to any circumstance or situation where a Christian man or woman finds themselves lamenting before the Lord. This applies generally to everyone who finds themselves today in a lamentable moment, but perhaps that's you. Certainly the last couple of years have brought many lamentable moments, many lamentable themes. And so this psalm this morning is for us in particular. With that in mind, let's jump into verses 1 to 7. Look at verse 1. Remember, this is a general psalm of lament from David, and here's what he says. He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. Raise your hand if you're really good at waiting patiently. Raise your hand if you're a liar. <laughs> you notice my hands are down. It's actually not my strong suit. You know, sort of a silly, trivial example Last night, I had night number two on a brand new CPAP machine. Does any of you guys know what a CPAP machine is? It prevents me from, like, gasping and dying in the night, which is a good thing. The problem is it takes a lot of getting used to, apparently. And so by 4 o'clock in the morning, my mouth was gaping open, and there was, like, a torrent of wind blowing out of my mouth. And I decided, in frustration, to throw the thing on the floor and just get some sleep. Not a shining moment of patience. And then I, I read this again this morning, and I'm convicted because I was lacking patience. That's a silly, trivial example. Think about the things in your life that you're waiting for. Things that demand patience. Perhaps you're at a moment in your career, a pivotal moment, where there's change on the horizon, or you long for something to change. That moment demands that you wait, that you wait patiently. Maybe you're at a point in your life where you are single and you are patiently waiting for the Lord to provide you with a spouse and a partner. Sometimes that feels like lament and you have to patiently wait. Maybe you are going through a struggle with your health and you are patiently waiting for a better outcome or for wholeness in your body. Waiting patiently. Or maybe it's just some general type of change. But here's the point. David says, in the moment of my lament, I waited patiently. Now it's hard enough to wait, right? Waiting can be torturous. But David pushes it even further. He says, it wasn't that I waited in that moment of lament and, you know, just pulling my hair out. No, no, he said, I waited patiently for the Lord. In Hebrew, he literally says, in waiting, I waited. Do you feel that in the original language? He's saying, in this lamentable situation, I waited and waited in waiting. I waited patiently before the Lord. He's emphatic. What does it look like to wait patiently for the Lord? Well, I think it means to long for something, but still hold fast to the promises of God. 
When you find yourself in those lamentable situations and you're waiting patiently for the Lord, it means that you, you long for deliverance. You long for the thing that you're waiting for. But at the same time, you still hold on to the trust in God's steadfast promises for you in Jesus. You wait patiently. That's what David did in verse 1. What was the result? He says, I waited patiently for the Lord. What did he say? And he, the Lord, inclined to me and heard my cry. Well, the fact that the Lord God heard David's cry meant that David was crying. And and again, Christian man or woman, this is perhaps for you if you find yourself in a lamentable situation, in in a lamentable moment in your life. Waiting patiently does not mean that you must suffer in silence. The Christian man or woman who's waiting patiently for the Lord cries out to him. You don't take on some kind of victim complex or martyr complex in your waiting. You cry out. Look to David as an example. In this lamentable moment in Psalm 40, he doesn't just sit and wallow in his own silence. He turns his cry to the Lord. Now look, you know the importance of true friendship in your life, right? We all need companions, good friends to whom we can take our good news and our bad. By the way, that's how you know someone's a true friend. You can tell them good things about your life and they're happy for you. You can share bad things with them and they empathize with you. We need that. But if that was all we had in our moments of lament, it would be limited. When you take your cries only to other people, it doesn't fully satisfy for at least a couple of reasons. First of all, because the other person that you're talking to, no matter how much they love you and no matter how much they want the best for you, they have their own experiences and their own biases. So you bring your challenge or your lament to them and they will project their own issues onto it. Maybe you've had that happen. You're in a moment of lament and so you reach out to a friend and you pour out your heart to them. You tell them everything that you're waiting on before the Lord. You tell them everything that you're struggling with and how it's, how it's so hard for you in this moment of lament. And they immediately tell you about the time two years ago that the very same thing happened to them. Right? Friendships are important, but they're not ultimately satisfying in moments of lament. Friendships are also not ultimately satisfying because even if the person genuinely empathizes and genuinely listens and doesn't project their own issues onto you, they are limited in their own capacity to help you and to deliver you out of that situation. They're human too. So in your moments of lament and need, you do take it to friends, but understand the limitations of that moment. Psalm 40 shows us that ultimately and finally, we as God's people take our cries and our laments to him. We don't do social media posts fishing for sympathy. We don't turn to 
functional saviors when we're lamenting. You know, you don't, you don't go on a shopping spree to sort of make yourself feel better. They call that retail therapy. You don't turn to amusement to try to numb the pain. You don't turn to substances to try to forget the thing that hurts you and that you're lamenting and that you're waiting for. David turns to the Lord. He praises him. He reminds himself that no matter how great his temper, this momentary plight is, that it is, as Paul will say in 2 Corinthians, a light and momentary struggle that pales in comparison to the weight of glory that awaits. So David waits on the Lord. He cries out to him. Look, before we move on, I want you to see this dynamic. It's a psalm of lament. David, in his lamentable scenario, turns his attention to the Lord. In the second half of verse 1, we're told that the Lord turns his attention to David. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. Verse 2. He drew me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, and set my feet on a rock, making my steps secure. See, David then moves to an honest appraisal of his plight. He describes it as the pit of destruction. Do you see that? He drew me up out of the pit of destruction. Now again, the literal Hebrew here carries an important nuance. In Hebrew, it's literally the, um, the pit of noisy chaos. If you're parents of toddlers, that's your family room. No, but seriously, have you ever found yourself in a moment in life that it, it feels just like all of the noise of the universe is collectively coming to bear on you in a way that is chaotic and you can't cope? That's what David's describing. He gives an honest appraisal of just how bad it is. And, and see, that's how Christians lament. We don't look for relief by denying how bad is the situation. We're honest in our appraisal of it. David says, it's the pit of destruction. It's the pit of noisy chaos. He then goes on and calls it a miry bog. Do you see that? Well, again, literally in Hebrew, it's this sticky clay. And what David is describing here is he finds himself in a situation that is like being surrounded by noisy, destructive chaos. He uses a, a word picture to say, my scenario is so bad, it feels like I'm stuck in a quicksand-type clay, and if I lifted my foot up on my own, I'd leave my rubber boot behind. You know those moments? What's he saying? He's saying, the scenario in which I find myself is so bad and so chaotic I am completely and utterly stuck. I cannot get myself out of this. I need external help. I need a rescuer who will lend me a hand and pull me out of this miry bog. I can't do it on my own. That's the picture. And what does that rescue look like? Well, David says it looks like feet 
that have been firmly planted and a way that has been established. David's saying, if in your moment of lament, you turn to the Lord, you cry out to him, you wait patiently for him, he will draw you up out of the pit of noisy chaos, he'll pull you up out of that sticky bog, and he's going to set your feet upon a rock. That's what God has done for David in the past. And that's what God will do again. Not only does God in those moments deliver you out of the noisy chaos and out of the sticky bog, he sets your feet on a rock, but it goes even further, doesn't it? He makes your steps secure. Do you see that in verse 2? Now again, Christian man or woman, this is a really important thing that I don't want you to miss this morning. We too often think of God's deliverance and his rescue simply as helping us to escape destruction or despair. And that is part of it. That's a big part of it. He's rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his son. But it's more than that. David, in his moment of lament, says, he's not only delivered me from these things, but he's established a path for my feet. Part of God's deliverance out of the chaos and the noise and the miry bog for you this morning is not only pulling you out of the bad situation, but giving you a purpose and a meaning. Establishing the way of your feet. When God delivers his people, he doesn't just save them and set them on a shelf. He puts them back on track with a purpose and a meaning. He establishes your steps and makes them secure. All right, verse 3. He, God, put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise to our God. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. So David's building this picture, and you can see it emerge. He says, I was waiting patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. He drew me up out of the pit of destruction, out of the miry bog, set my feet on the rock, made my steps secure. And what's the result of that sort of deliverance and saving? Well, David says at least two things. The first result is that you will get a new song in your mouth. See, when God delivers you and rescues you from that lamentable situation, he will grant you a new song. Because in that deliverance, God has accomplished more than just sparing you from that thing that's, that's attacking you. He's shown you more of his own character. And so that's why David says, once you've pulled me out of the noisy chaos, once you've pulled me out of the bog, I can't, but help, I can't help but sing a new song to the Lord. I'm going I'm to know you more deeply. I'm going to trust you more profoundly. And that's going to spill over in my life as a song unto the Lord. David says that that's a song that other people will hear and they too will put their fear and their trust in the Lord. Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. Okay, look at the picture here that's, that's unfolding before our eyes. David says, he 
you wait patiently for the Lord, he's going to deliver you. When he delivers you, he's going to do it so that you know him more dearly and sing a song about him. And when he delivers you from this present struggle, other people are going to be watching. Maybe your friends, maybe your family, in secular terms, your sphere of influence, they will see the Lord God's deliverance and they too will come to fear and trust in him. So this moment of lament that you find yourself in, it's not without purpose. God has a purpose and a plan in it to shape your character and to bring many others to love and fear and trust in him. Verse 4, blessed is the man who makes the Lord his trust, who does not turn to the proud, to those who go astray after a lie. So these lamentable moments are only going to result in two mutually exclusive outcomes, David's saying. Either, on the one hand, they will make you turn to the Lord in trust, or, on the other hand, there are some who will, in moments of lament, turn their attention and the respect to liars. That's what he says in verse 4. Verse 5. You have multiplied, O Lord my God, your wondrous deeds and your thoughts towards us. None can compare with you. I will proclaim and tell of them, yet they are more than can be told. Friends, if you find yourself in a season of lament, begin by bringing thanksgiving to God. That's what David does. In his time of desperate need, he says, You, O Lord, my God, have multiplied your wondrous deeds and your thoughts toward us. It's really important because in those moments of desperate need as a Christian man or woman, you truly do become, uh, let me say it a different way, your, your perception of reality is shaped by the things that you rehearse. Hey, do you understand what I mean by that? You need, you need as a Christian man or woman to preach your best sermon to your own soul. Because when you find yourself in a moment of desperation, if you wallow, you will circle the bowl and lead to destruction. If, however, in those moments, you gather yourself, you remember the Lord God, you praise him and worship him for who he is, well, that will shape the story that you live out of in that moment. I'm not saying to artificially make something up that isn't true. What I'm saying is, even in your moment of greatest despair and lament, there are still good things for which you can give thanks to God. Focus your attention on those. Point your life towards those. Let me be really concrete. If you find yourself on the brink of despair this morning, Make a list of your blessings. Count your blessings and give thanks to God. David is the example of this. In verse 5, he points himself towards remembering God's goodness. And so we, in our moments of lament, want to say with David, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. Let's look at verses 8 to 10. In verses 8 to 10, you're going to see two 
parallel things sort of emerge, two thrusts that come out. Look at, look at verses 8 to 10. David says, I delight to do your will, O my God. Your law is within my heart. I have told the glad news of deliverance in the great congregation. Behold, I have not restrained my lips, as you know, O Lord. I have not hidden your deliverance within my heart. I have spoken of your faithfulness and your salvation. I have not concealed your steadfast love and your faithfulness from the great congregation. See, the first thrust that comes out of this part of the, of the psalm is David saying, in my moment of lament, as I'm waiting patiently for the Lord, he's saying, as for me. Did you hear the personal pronouns through that? I, 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 I will tell of your deliverance. Look at verses 11 and 12. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. For evils have encompassed me beyond number. My iniquities have overtaken me and I cannot see. They are more than the numbers of hairs on my head. My heart fails me. So David sets out this first thrust. He says, I will tell of your deliverance. And in verses 11 to 12, he says, and as for God, I will tell of God's deliverance and he will preserve me. Now, the content of these verses is really important, but what I want to share with you this morning and what I want you to see is the overarching principle at work. In the life of the godly man or woman, there are things that are as for me, and there are things that are as for God. There are things that fall under my purview, and they're the things that I ought to do, but there are things that God and God alone can do. Christian man or woman, you confuse those two at your peril. God delivers. We give thanks and tell of his deliverance. Far too often, as Christians, we get those reversed. We try to be, or at least appear to be, our own deliverer, and we want God to tell the story of how great we are. Not so with David. David says, you are my deliverer. I wait for you, and I tell the story of how great you are. See how that works? God delivers, and you and I tell. All right, let's close with verses 13 forward. Now, you might hear all this preached this morning and think, oh, that's awesome, R.D. Um, I find myself in this lamentable time and season, so I need to wait patiently for the Lord. He's going to hear my cry. He's going to draw me up out of the pit. He's going to put a new song in my mouth. I need to remember that he is my deliverer and I'm the delivered, that he is my preserver and I'm the preserved, that he's the one who takes action on my behalf and I tell others. Okay, so the picture is starting to emerge. But you say, you know, R.D., that sounds a little bit like cheap self-help advice that I could get from Heather's Picks in Indigo. Okay? It's just like, yeah, yeah, whatever. But it's not so. 
What we have in Psalm 40 is far better than that. Because this kind of patient waiting and lament is only possible because of the gospel. And that's what we see in verses 13 forward. David cries out and he says, Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. See, David cries out for something, and we as Christians read that. We hear David crying out, O Lord, deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. And as Christians in 2022, we read Psalm 40 and we say, He already has. See, that's the beauty of the gospel. Christian man or woman, how many times in your life has God intervened on your behalf and helped you and delivered you out of disasters of your own making? How many times has God rescued you from the natural consequences that you should have had to bear? He's delivered you so many times. How many times will God have to intervene on your behalf before your default setting changes and you actually learn to trust him on the front end. He already has delivered you many times in the past. And he will again now. But even more so. He, in Jesus, delivered you from your greatest foe 2,000 years ago on a cross. He's already done it. In his body, he bore the penalty for your sin and endured the cross with its shame. So David cries out in Psalm 40, he says, Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch my life away. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, Aha, aha. David's crying out for the removal of a shame that for us as Christians happened 2,000 years ago on the cross. It's already been done. That's the gospel. No more shame for those who are in Christ. Verse 15, the realization of the reversal of shame that David talks about in verse 15. Listen, so far we've been looking at Psalm 40 and seeing David's experience of lament as an example for how we are to lament. And that's partially helpful and partially true. But the gospel brings a different lens to bear on this passage. See, the writer to the Hebrews picks out um, Psalm 40, verse 6, and uses it in Hebrews chapter 10. I'm not going to take time right now to show you, but it's there. And the writer of the Hebrews says, this is the gospel. Listen to verse 6. In sacrifice and offering, you have not delighted, but you have given me an open ear, burnt offering and sin offering you've not required. The writer of the Hebrews pulls that through into the New Testament. And what he says is, the fact that there are no longer offerings being made to God, burnt offerings and sacrifices, shows us that the sacrifice that Jesus made on the cross was perfect and complete.
And so here's the different lens through which we see Psalm 40. In Psalm 40, we are encouraged by the gospel. Because you're not David. David's not you. David is a foreshadowing of Jesus. Jesus, who on the cross bore all of your guilt and shame. Jesus, who was ultimately vindicated and delivered through the empty tomb from shame so that he could deliver all of us with him who put our faith and trust in him. And so for the Christian man or woman, the deliverance that you seek has already been fully accomplished and done in Jesus on the cross for you. Your deliverance is not something to long for in the future. It's an event that happened 2,000 years ago on Calvary. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. See, that's the cry of the Christian man or woman who's lamenting. We see that ultimately in Jesus, our deliverance has already taken place. The gospel tells us that God is so great that we have already been delivered from shame and from sin and from death and from hell. Great is the Lord. I talked to some people who say, my faith would be so greatly emboldened if I could see God work miraculous wonders in front of my eyes. You know, they say, well, I think I would think that God is greater if I had some sort of enormous feeling or emotion. I want to see a sign or a wonder so that I can say that God is great. But Christian man or woman, you already know the greatest miracle that God's ever performed. The greatest wonder is that he has taken sinners like you and me and made us righteous that we can stand before him holy because of Jesus. So in the face of our own lament, we can say with David, great is the Lord. As for me, I'm poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay. Through the lens of Jesus, we see that God has not delayed. That he has already delivered us. And so now we wait patiently for the Lord. For that moment when our faith will become sight. Let's pray. Father, we find ourselves in different seasons in this life. Sometimes seasons of great joy, sometimes seasons of lament. But I pray especially for those who are here this morning and they carry a heavy burden, a heavy load. The crushing weight of a moment in life that hasn't worked out the way they had hoped. It doesn't seem fair. God, I pray that you would grant them the confidence to turn to you, to wait patiently for you, and the faith to know that 
in Jesus, our shame, our guilt, it has all been lifted off of our shoulders. That we have been pulled out of the noisy pit and delivered from the miry clay. Our feet have been set upon the rock of our salvation. We pray this to the glory of your name. Amen.